Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. This week we're wrapping up pie school, not by getting bigger, but by getting smaller. That's right, we're looking at ways to miniaturize our pies for a delicious and portable snack. We'll also review our shoe fly pie and see if we have another desperation pie hit on our hands. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, back in the first part of Pie School, episodes 62 and 63, we introduced our butterscotch pie with our curry crumb crust, which we absolutely adored. And mm, yes. in that in that uh, episode, we were talking about unusual flavor combinations. Well, lo and behold, I was reading the Sunday paper recently, and they had a whole section devoted to strange food combinations. So I'm going to read you some, and we'll just, you know, we wanted to keep an open mind, I think, after the butterscotch curry. We were a little dubious, but it turned out so fabulously that maybe we're ready for some of these. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready, and I do wish my husband was here. I know. <laughs> Listen to these as well. He would probably be jumping up and down with excitement. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, the first, coconut and egg. This unlikely sounding pairing is popular in Asian cooking. Try frying your morning egg in coconut oil. You know, I can see that. Uh, yeah, that, that doesn't sound no, unusual no. Okay. to me. Okay, it's here we go. not typical, no. but I'm good with that one. Orange and olive. The zing of orange zest over buttery olives creates an interesting contrast. Yep, that's a good one. Also, strawberry and tomato both share a chemical compound called furanone, so they're a natural match. Who knew? No, don't like it. I don't know. No. Don't do it. No, refuse. Nope. No. Mm -hmm. Never the twain shall meet. And here, I, you know why, too? Because that one's going to be a tricky one. I'm going to reach for a platter of what I think is like a caprese salad, and it's going to turn out to be like some sort of sliced watermelon with goat cheese on it or something. So no. So you no. don't like the bait and switch aspect of it. That exactly. Red. I see. Yes. All right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Fool mm -hmm. the eye. Okay. Got yes. it. Yes. <laughs> I don't want a <laughs> tomato coulis on my angel food cake. All right, no such problem with this next pairing. Lavender and white cheese, the meadow-like sweetness of goat's cheese, is enhanced by herbaceous, herbaceous? Herbaceous mm -hmm. lavender. <laughs> yes. Yeah, That's I know. That's a pretty you're, pur you're purple purple I know, yeah. Okay. Yeah, now that you're okay. living in London where they say that they pronounce the they H do. herbs. Herbs. Um, that one doesn't grab me. We visit a lavender farm during the summer on our bike trip, and everything is infused with lavender. And I can't get the idea out of my head that it's uh, a massage oil. Yeah, or and soap. And so then, like, mm -hmm. as I'm – or soap or whatever. I like the smell of lavender, but as I'm eating my – for example, I almost always get the lavender-infused ice cream. It's just something about it is not going down the right way with me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems a little bit too much for the bathroom for me, usually. But, yes, you know, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, courgette, also known as zucchini, and lime. The unyielding sharpness of lime gives a tropical flavor kick to slightly sweet, slightly nutty courgette. 
I don't know. I I've love never it. thought about those two together. Zucchini are kind of bland, so I think they would really take nicely to lime. Like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and think about zucchini bread. You know, think about oh like God. banana bread with lemon zest, so zucchini bread with lime zest. Oh my God, yes. And my very favorite zucchini bread recipe of all time from Sheila Lukens has like a lemon drizzle glaze, so that is very mm. similar. Mm-hmm. Okay, last mm-hmm. one. Saved it for you. Stilton, which is a famous British cheese, of course, blue cheese, and rhubarb. Sweet and sour rhubarb unlocks the salty, smooth, and creamy complexity of strong blue cheese. Yes. Yeah. I mean, a yeah. hundred times yes. I love Stilton and I love like those fig paste or quince pastes. I love that with a really strong blue cheese. So I think rhubarb would, would have that same sort of quality. Oh my gosh. I know. I, just, I love that. Those were some that we had just been so tentative about the the butterscotch and the curry and ended up loving it so much that I thought, you know, just got to unlock my mind to other potential. So we'll see. Yes, I have a book on hold at the library called The Flavor Bible that is <laughs> supposed to detail things like this. So I'm going to start going through that as soon as it becomes available because I, too, was interested after we did that butterscotch curry. And I thought, what other things are out there that I'm not even thinking of? So I love that. Thank yeah. you, Stefan. That's oh, a great tip. One thing I've been doing this week that is so easy, I wanted to make sure our listeners know about it. Uh, back, you know, a month or month or so ago or a couple weeks ago when it was Valentine's Day, I'm sure everyone saw in the grocery stores the chocolate-covered strawberries. Yeah. And at my grocery store, they're a dollar each, which I think is a little pricey. One dollar per berry? Per berry. And the berries are ginormous. Okay. Which to me means flavorless. So I am never tempted to buy those. But I got home and I thought to myself, you know, that would be a pretty easy thing to make. Now, berries are not in season here, but uh, my co-op did have an organic berry, I think, growing in California. So I was able to get them. They were very small and they had decent flavor not as good as you'd get in June or July, but they were still okay. And back in episode 62, I had shared that vegan brownie truffle from Matthew Kenny in the Waitrose magazine. Yes which I did not love because of the inclusion of the maca powder in the truffle. But the chocolate glaze was really good. And so I made that again to dip my strawberries in. And I wanted to share it because it's so quick and so easy. You melt three tablespoons of coconut oil. You put in three tablespoons of maple syrup. And you top it off with three tablespoons of cacao powder. I also added a little dot of vanilla in there. When you add the cacao powder, it gets pretty thick and sets up nicely fairly quickly. You've got your strawberries. I had already rinsed those and dried them really well. It's really important that those strawberries be dry. And I dip them into the chocolate, pop them into the fridge for a couple of minutes. I did roll a few in coconut because my husband loves that. And such a nice, fun easy snack to have at night. That's so pretty too. And the flavor combination of chocolate and strawberries, you just can't beat it. Now, Andrea, is cacao powder the same as unsweetened cocoa powder? Is it just a fancier way to say that? Or is it a different product altogether? That is a great question. I do not know the answer to it, but I will get back to you and the listeners on that because I have to admit that crossed my mind as well because I thought to myself, oh, I'm about out of the cacao powder in this bag. I wonder if I could just switch over and use my Hershey's unsweetened cocoa powder. I'm going to guess that flavor-wise it's the same, but maybe the process that it goes through to be made is different. But I'll get back to you on that. That's a good good question. I'm interested in the answer on that. Well, thank you. And those are delicious 
and easy and yum. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Well, in our last week here of Pie Month, we are going to review our Shoe Fly Pie from Alton Brown. This is a new entry into the category of Desperation Pies, also known as Pantry Pie. And you may be familiar with a Shoe Fly by another name, also known as a Sugar Pie or a Molasses Pie. This was new to both Andrea and I. And Andrea, you're going to start us off on this review. How did the Shoe Fly for you? <laughs> it flew really well. Yes. This was such an interesting pie to make. So listeners, you might remember back on episode 64, Stefan gave you a heads up that even though the recipe looked extremely complex, that really the first two thirds of it was all based on the crust. Yeah. And it was the crust that was so difficult. Um I went onto YouTube and I did find a video of Alton Brown, who uh, has a TV show called Good Eats, making a blind bake crust or making a pie crust. I'm not going to include a link to it on our show sheets because I do believe it's an illegal video. <laughs> it looks like someone just held their phone up to their TV and recorded uh, an episode of Good Eats. But no, we're you know, all you... above board here. At yes, 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 exactly. <laughs> we're not going to uh, support yes. and share that, but I did did watch the whole 30-minute episode uh, for research purposes because the things in his recipe that were different to me, I wanted to hear his explanation for why he did that to see if I really wanted to do that. So I did follow his instructions in terms of I put it in the food processor, I combined the flour and the salt and pulsed it, I added the butter and pulsed it, I added the lard and pulsed it, um, and then the next piece is where I started to deviate. He says, remove the lid of the food processor and spritz the surface of the mixture thoroughly with water, yes. which would, it, this would involve a spritz bottle or a spray bottle. Now, I don't know about you, but living in a house with a 12-year-old, we have massive amounts of spray bottles, and I have no idea what any of them are used for. <laughs> they're, they're in constant use for various, like, skincare preparations, natural, you know, insect repellent. Yes. Um, and I just thought, I am not about to put water in one of these not knowing what was previously in here. So, smart. Yeah, smart call. Yeah. Okay. So I just, you know, did one tablespoon at a time because he does tell you it's four tablespoons. So I just did, you know, two tablespoons first and then added one more and then added one more. Um, and then he places it in a large resealable bag, squeezes it together until it forms a ball and then presses into a rounded disc. I, I skipped the resealable bag part. I just put it into some um, plastic wrap and then wrapped that up and put it in the fridge to chill. Now, when you take it out of the fridge, you roll it out in the bag. I think the purpose of the bag and the TV show didn't help me understand why. I think that is just for people who have trouble rolling in a circle. The bag kind of gives boundaries. So you're rolling the same amount in every direction. I agree. And I think it is also for like a mess if people are worried about it sticking to their countertops oh. or maybe don't want to get all the flour okay. everywhere. I also wondered if it was trying to keep things tidy. Possibly. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Well, I, I don't care. When I do pie dough, there's flour all over and Watch out. I just I just clean up when I'm done. Then he has you use two pie pans. So you put one pie pan on top of the other pie pan and then you invert it and, and pull the bag off. Now, my thought is this is for people who their, their 
crust has stuck to something and they're nervous about getting it up. And again, I use my freezer cloth. I'm pretty good. I've got a method where I wrap the dough over the rolling pin and then I lift the rolling pin up yeah, and place it in too. the pie pan yeah. and mm-hmm. unroll it. So I did skip that piece as well. Um But then I went ahead and put it in the pan and trimmed the dough. I did a little bit of crimping on the edge, not very much. I just felt like this wasn't a pie that was going to require anything very fancy. And I put it in the fridge for 15 minutes. And then I poked the holes in the sides. I put the parchment on top. He says fill with dry beans. I followed the advice of listener Andrea. I did sugar. So now I have a nice jar of toasted sugar. And I filled it all the way up. So, I mean, all the way to the top, even kind of making a a little mountain or a mound. So the sides were completely covered as well. Yes. And I I baked that for 10 minutes, um, pulled it out. I poured the sugar off, obviously. I removed the parchment. I put it back in and baked another seven minutes. And success. Yeah. Blind baking success. I was so happy. Um, My blind bakes usually have one of two problems. Either they the edges fall off I think because I've overstretched the dough or they shrink so much that they're almost unrecognizable and I didn't have either of those happen so I was very happy with this recipe yeah I want to give a huge shout out to Andrea in Germany as well for that sugar tip I had the most beautiful blind bakes of my entire pie making career so I would like to shake your hand Miss Andrea and the sugar is just a revolutionary um, one question I wonder to Andrea or to anyone else out there is if, can you use that sugar again? If you're not going to use it as oh, toasted yeah. sugar, can I just keep reusing it like I would a be- bean, a pie bean? I I have, oh, reusing it in the pie bags. Oh, that's a good question. I haven't been reusing it in the pie bags. I have been using it as an ingredient. And I do feel like it's a little more caramely flavored and it is moister than regular sugar. Yeah, I don't have a problem um, using it, just using it up. I was just wondering, hmm, like if I don't use this up by the next time I need to blind bake, can I just throw it back in the pie again? I think the only thing that could potentially happen is if it started to caramelize too much. But I don't think that's going to happen in 15 minutes in the oven. Right. I mean, it's in there for, what, 10 and then you take it out. Well, um, yes. Yeah, so so huge kudos to her for that tip, which has literally changed my pie making life. Um, I had a very easy time with this crust because I used um, oh. our pie friends, pie provisions. I used the pie crust mix here. And so oh, that is well, there you go. very, very simple. It's an all butter crust. And uh, the nice thing I thought was an all butter crust with this pie because the filling does not really have that much fat at all. I believe it only has an egg. And so it's not, um, I think it can really use some of that extra mm-hmm. extra fat that came from the crust. Mm-hmm. So that worked so well for me. For me. Uh, and I, as listeners know, I've kind of gone back and forth between a butter shortening crust, a pure shortening crust. So this was also a little bit of a different taste for me using all butter. Really worked well. Turned out oh, a good. beautiful crust. Yeah. Um, so the filling, Andrea, I did a little more research on this pie. And some folks also call this a coffee cake pie. And oh. it really reminded me, that made a lot of sense to me, because it almost reminded me this filling of our St. Louis gooey butter cake. And it has that just very, it is like a cake. I, I felt mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I felt that I was eating a cake pie. 
And in the same way that our brownie pie or our chocolate chess, also known as brownie pie, has that very cake-like texture, so did this. And the first, I made this pie twice. I love this pie. I'm going to have a piece as soon as we're done recording. Uh, (laughs) I think it was so unusual. I made it the first time with Lyle's Golden Syrup, which is very, very prevalent here. And that turned out deliciously. It was a little bit milder flavor than a molasses. I then made it with an American-style molasses that I was able to find here. It's a darker flavor, a richer flavor, a little bit denser, still delicious. It's delightful with some whipping cream on top. I love it. You know I love a cold cake. And you can have a cold piece of shoe fly pie. I tell you what, this is this is a new favorite for me. So when you said you made it the first time with Lyle's Golden Syrup, so you used eight ounces of syrup in place of eight ounces of molasses. Yeah, and it's a good point because they do not weigh the same thing. Lyle's is a little runnier, and oh. so it was a, just a little bit different texture of the filling. It wasn't loose by any means, but when I made it with the American-style molasses, I did notice that the molasses version was was firmer. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad to know about that tip because here is what happened with me on the filling. Um, on the, the the filling has, as Stefan mentioned, the three-quarter cup boiling water, and then you pour that over the baking soda, and then you add the molasses. We talked last week about how you had to do your molasses by weight and not by the measurement written on the jar of molasses. So yeah. I, mm-hmm. I did notice that when I weighed my um, eight ounces of molasses, I actually turned out with three-quarter cup or six ounces, six fluid ounces of molasses. So that was interesting to see that, it's oh, not, oh yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, right. it's not the same. Um, and then there's also a crumb mixture. So the crumb mixture, you mix into the filling, uh, and you also sprinkle some on top. And one of the ingredients in the crumb mixture, which is flour, sugar, butter, and salt, it says dark brown sugar. I only had light brown sugar. Okay. And as I was rooting around in my pantry, I found a box, and I must have bought this when I was visiting you in London. I can't think of where else I would have gotten it. And it's called Billington's Molasses Sugar. And then underneath it, it says um natural unrefined cane sugar and so that's what I used it was a very dark brown sugar it was very Mm molasses-y and then I did that the molasses in the filling I thought this pie was beautiful I love the way it's set up like you I thought it was like a cake or a brownie in terms of look looks it sliced very nicely it was just as good the second day I only had two problems with it um Number one, this is going to sound so silly, but I realized after I made it that I don't know that I like molasses <laughs> that much. So that would be a problem here. Yes. I mean, obviously, this is no complaint toward Alton Brown or, you know, the the recipe. Uh, I It would be like someone making a peanut butter pie and then saying, well, you know, it really tasted like peanut butter. Uh, duh. So... You know, I it could be that maybe using that Billington's molasses sugar combined with the regular molasses was just too much for yeah, me. Yeah. But I also just thought to myself, you know, I like a hint of molasses. I'm not sure I like a mouthful of it. So that was my my first quibble with it, which is entirely personal. But my second thing with it, and this is funny, we talked about the bait and switch at the top of the show because I'm now realizing that this is the other part of it that turned me off a little bit is it looked like a chocolate pie. It looked like a brownie pie. And then you bite into it, 
and it's molasses. Yeah. And so there was just that mental disappointment that I had of like, oh, it looked like it was going to be chocolate and it wasn't. And it made me think back in episode 15, we talked a lot about desperation pies. And one of the reasons cooks were using them was when ingredients were hard to come by. So you had given the example that people were making vinegar pies because lemons were hard to come by. And so I'm thinking in this one, oh, I wonder if people were making molasses pie because sugar was hard to come by or because chocolate was hard to come by. And so, again, it was that sort of visual, oh, it's like a chocolate pie, but it's really not. It's a really good guess. My, We had the same issue here. My son, who loves, dearly loves chocolate, just his face just fell. He thought it was a chocolate <laughs> pie, one of his very favorite things ever. And then he just said, oh, I mean, it was it was not at all what he was he was wanting or expecting. So you're right. Um, the problem I have with it visually is I don't think it's very pretty. I expected so. Andrea alluded, you you um, mix up the molasses and water mixture, and then you add in, they call it crumbs. It didn't really look like crumbs to me. It was more of like a flour, just a plain just flour. flour mixture. Yeah. But it's really mm-hmm. kind of because you're making the cake filling. And then you, you reserve a little bit, hold it back, and then put it on at the end. I fully expected that to kind of sink into the top of the pie as it baked, and mine didn't on either on either of my pies. It just kind of sat there and made this whitish ring, and I did not find that particularly pretty. Now, of course, you're serving it with whipped cream. I, I highly recommend that, and so you kind of cover that that up, but it just wasn't beautiful and it's already so humble I thought oh you could at least be pretty or you know it's it's the humble flavors and the humble ingredients but um, dress it up with some whipped cream and you're fine but uh, I I agree and in fact if listeners you're on our Facebook group preheated you'll see that I included a picture from the Food Network and then you'll see the pictures when of, you know, my pie and Stefan's pie. And I actually was kind of happy that the professional photo from the Food Network looked a lot like my pie because, Stefan, I had the same thought. I thought, did I do this right? It just sort of looks like a dusting of flour on top. Yes. It looks a little dirty yes. almost. Yes. It looked like I forgot to stir all the ingredients together. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I, I'm glad we sort of had that same um thing. Well, I am definitely going to make this again with my Lyle's Golden Syrup. I'm really excited to try that. I really liked that variation. And again, it it still counts. It's a sugar pie. It's a it's a sugar syrup. So this is definitely still in this category of the of the sugar pie. And Lyle's just has a really nice flavor, kind of a a golden nutty type of flavor. And, you know, I'm pretty sure it's readily available in the States now. I can get it at my regular grocery store. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, definitely try that variation. And listeners, if you've made it or you have other sugar pies, what else are you using in place of molasses? We would love to know that. Yes, indeed. Up next is a strawberry rhubarb pie from Joy the Baker. This is a crumb pie, so it's got a really nice crust. It's a typical pie crust with flour, sugar, salt, and butter with the addition of some buttermilk, which I love in the crust. And then the filling has uh, strawberries and rhubarb and sugar and some cornstarch to thicken it up. And then your topping is sort of your typical crumble topping, flour, oats, sugar, salt, 
butter and unsweetened coconut flakes or coarsely chopped pecans. I do both. Um, (laughs) And this, uh, I think I've mentioned before, this is one of my husband's favorite pies. This is one of my favorite pies. It is easy to make. It has always been successful for me. And I think the only challenge might be this time of year, uh, at least in my market, we don't have any fresh rhubarb yet. I always know spring is coming when the rhubarb starts popping up, but not yet here. I did manage to put some away over the summer. And of course, I can always get pretty good high quality frozen strawberries. So I will be making this with frozen fruit. How about you, Stefan? I am so excited to give you this update on rhubarb. So Andrea, you probably don't know, I did not know this, that uh, England was the first country to start forcing rhubarb in the 1700s. And they're very famous for their forced rhubarb now. And it's very romantic. It is grown in the dark. And so the shoots come up looking for light. And it is harvested by candlelight. It is what? Uh, it is this incredible story. I went to Borough Market, famous Borough Market. We went when you oh. were visiting me. And yes. I saw the rhubarb and I thought, perfect, I need this. I don't know where this has come from. And I, I went to talk to the vendor and I said, tell me, how are you getting this fresh rhubarb? He said, well, this is Yorkshire rhubarb. It's harvested by candlelight. And I literally paused a beat and looked at him like, you're not going to pull the right. wool over this American, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sure yeah. it is. And lo and behold, he was right. So if I had to tell you what it tasted like, to me, and I probably need to taste test English rhubarb in general uh, next to each other. But to me, it was a milder taste. So it wasn't as, you know, uh, like a fresh harvested uh, in-season rhubarb. You can hardly take a bite of it raw. It is so very puckery. But, But this, you could. And... Uh, it was just a milder flavor. But I was so fascinated by this story that turns out to be completely true, uh, harvested by candlelight, and seemed so perfect to go with these strawberries. Now, I can get pretty good strawberries right now. They're coming from Spain here in Europe. Okay. So um, the strawberries are going to be great. I love this dough also. It's very easy to work with. I love that buttermilk in there. Um, You know, one question I've always had on this recipe, though, Andrea, and you see this other places too. What does this mean in the crust ingredient uh, instructions? Add a bit more buttermilk if necessary, but you want the mixture to be shaggy and not outwardly wet. What does shaggy dough mean to you? I do a lot of things with shaggy dough. <laughs> and so what it means to me is like um, flakes of oatmeal almost. Okay. Okay. Kind of like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Shaggy to me seems like a haircut or something. And so I'm always thinking, should this be more put together? Should this look like I less know, put together? Less. You know, put almost together. almost spiky. Think spiky Got a little it. bit. That's really not helpful. smooth, not rounded, not beautiful. Which I think a lot of times with dough. People tend to think, oh, let me – it's not bread dough. You don't want it smooth and beautiful and round. You, you, you're you good with that shagginess because that means you still have the chunks of butter. And then when that melts, that's how you're going to get the flakes in the pie crust. Okay, got it. Thank you. That's really helpful. Well, I love this pie, and I hope that if you're using frozen or fresh that that you can you can be out there and, and have equal success because we both, we both love it. So – 
Yes. And um, please do post pictures. Stefan and I will post our pictures. Since this is a four-week month, we won't be reviewing this particular pie on next week's episode, but we will definitely be chatting it up on our Facebook page. And we both love it, and we hope that all of you do as well. That's right. And we'll have the links to that recipe. That's um, Joy the Baker's Strawberry Rhubarb Pie and also Alton Brown's Shoe Fly Pie. Uh, both links up on our website, preheatedpodcast.com. And then, as Andrea just said, we'll also have those up on our Facebook page and our Pinterest page as well. Stefan, what do you think our listeners say is the most challenging thing about baking pie at home? Oh, the pie crust. I mean, we've been talking about it all month. A very popular intimidation station. <laughs> yes. But fear no more because we've got you covered. Friend of the podcast Pie Provisions has a pie crust mix that provides the ingredients and the know-how for you to make perfect pie crust every time in the comfort of your own home. I had great success with it on this week's Shoe Fly Pie. And, you know, so many people might not even attempt that pie because they would be so afraid of the extensive crust instructions. I know, but with the Pie Provisions Pie Crust Mix, you have an easy-to-prepare recipe ready to go right in your pantry. So head on over to the Pie Provisions website. It's www.pieprovisions.com. That's P-I-E-P-R-O-V-I-S-I-O-N-S.com. And use promo code PHPIE to order up your own Pie Crust Mix and save 25%. Pie Provisions is also giving one of our lucky listeners an amazing gift basket filled with special goodies. You'll get the pie crust mix. You'll get a super cute sweatshirt, the Pioneer sweatshirt. You'll get a fabulous t-shirt, the Pioneer t-shirt that says Home Baking Club on it. Those three words just make my heart sing. So cute. You'll get... A huge baking starter kit that has everything you need to bake a pie. Head over to our Facebook preheated group. You'll find the pie provisions post. All you need to do is comment on there for a chance to win. Your comment can be as simple as hi or pick me. You don't have to write an essay, but you'll notice that uh, the lovely owner of pie provisions, Lauren, has been so great about responding to our listeners. So thank you, Lauren, for all of your advice on our pie issues as well. Andrea, we are going to wrap up our second annual pie school talking about some mini pies. And your and my love of the mini dessert is well documented on this podcast. We thought we would talk about a few. Uh, One that I just ran across, as listeners know, one of my 2018 baking resolutions was to clean out my recipes. And I'm going to have an update on that next month, I hope, for you guys. But one that I found was called a strawberry ice cream pie witch. Now, when I think of an ice cream sandwich, I usually think of a cookie with ice cream in the middle. Me too. I've never seen... An open side. Yes, yes. This is adorable, and it is instead pie crust. Uh, So it's more like a little strawberry pie. It's really cute, and, and literally I had never thought of doing doing something like that before so just rolling out they use a prepared pie crust in this in this recipe but you could use you know whatever type of of pie crust you're most comfortable with stamp it out bake it in little rounds and put the ice cream in between I thought it was so so cute a pie witch what a great idea I love that and I love the name a pie witch I love that I'm gonna try that pie witch um and then you know the other thing this just made me think of when um my husband and I were first dating 
I was renting an apartment and the the building was was fairly old and the landlords decided to give everyone a new oven but they downsized the oven and so it was it's like not as small as the one I have here in England but it was small enough that uh, my my baking sheets didn't fit anymore and I had planned oh. this romantic meal for my new boyfriend and on the menu <laughs> were some strawberry empanadas now empanada is usually um like a savory uh meat yes like a meat empanada yeah right but this was a recipe using uh one of my favorite ready prepared things which is a uh, crescent roll in the can yes no shame Mm -hmm. yes and then you rolled it it up with some cream cheese and strawberry jam well I had this all prepared and had turned the oven on to preheat had them all on my baking sheet and went to put the uh, baking sheet in the oven and realized oh no it's too big had to bake them at an angle Uh, they all fell to the (laughs) side This story is proof that bakers do grow and change, right? I mean, listen to this story. What an amateur I was. Uh, At any rate, strawberry empanadas will always be dear to both my husband and my heart, uh, if not for the the flavor and the taste, but for the the heartfelt um, emotion behind them. So there you go. You set the tone in one of your first dinners when you made him hand whip whipped cream. So, oh no, no, honey, honey, it was meringue. I made hand. I made oh meringue by hand for a lemon meringue pie. Oh yes, my I gosh. did. Yeah. So he he probably thought a you know a little fail on empanadas was nothing compared to that. Oh, I love that story. Uh, what minis do you make up, Andrea? Uh, two minis I've been making a lot lately. One is new to me as well. I just saw this in a book or a magazine. I can't remember where I first saw it, but it was using mason jar lids to make mini pies. And I actually was able to do this on our butterscotch curry pie because I had enough crust left over and enough filling left over to do it. And I used both sides of my mason jar lids. So I used the larger wide mouth size and then also the smaller, I don't know what to call it but you know the regular pint size and so I got kind of a mini mini and then a bigger mini and um, so you just uh, take the ring and you can grease it a little bit if you want and then you know normally you would take the metal piece and the rubber would be facing up if you were canning in this case you turn the rubber side down so the metal side is facing up inside the ring you put your crust in there you bake it and then it's almost like a mini tart pan because you can just pop that ring out when you're done and pop that bottom up and it just pops right out you slide the bottom off you have your little mini pie there it's such a great thing to do and I like this size I like it so much better than for example the uh, six inch I think it is the disposable six inch pie pans that you can get at the grocery store those I don't find they're too big for a single serving. They're almost too small for two people. I don't know. I, I just really like this mini pie size. So I've been doing that quite a bit. Yeah, those pictures and were adorable of your mini butterscotches as well. <laughs> um, the other thing I've been doing is mini pies and mini muffin tins. So these are mini, mini. <laughs> the two-inch muffin tins that we're talking about. So I put the crust in there first, and obviously you're doing a very little bit of crust uh, because otherwise you'd fill the container. And then this really only works with fillings that are on the small side. So for example, a blueberry pie in this is perfect because you can put two or three blueberries in each pie piece. If you were were doing like a rhubarb or a strawberry, it might be hard to get both rhubarb and strawberry in each piece. Got it. Yeah. 
And I just love those sizes. Also, what one thing that's really good in there is pecans. I think a lot of people probably have seen pecan pie in that size. And it's almost like a little tart. This is good for people who prefer a higher crust to filling ratio. So if you're a real crust lover, you get a lot of crust and not as much filling. Nice. And that's kind of fun. And I have found when making these that it's best to bake them and get them out of the pan and then put on any toppings or decorations. So, okay. for example, with the blueberry pies, a lot of times I'll roll out a top crust and I'll cut out little stars or hearts and I'll bake those off separately just on a sheet in the oven. And then when they're done baking and I've pulled my blueberry pies out of the oven, I'll put the already baked hearts or stars on top of each one after they're out of the pan. Because otherwise they're so small, getting them out of the pan with the topping on, I ended up kind of mangling a lot of them. And then of course you have to eat those. You can't serve them. So well, and I would worry too, some, sometimes when something is so very small in relation to the rest of what you're baking, that it burns immediately too. And so then that's no good, obviously. So that's a really good point. When you are making these, do not follow your regular pie instructions. So, you know, if you're doing a fruit pie and it says, you know, bake 20 minutes at 425 and then lower the heat to 375 for another 30 or 45 minutes, no. Yeah. I mean, you've got a teaspoon or two of filling and those things can get hot and bubble over in you know, really a couple of minutes. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I'm doing more like 10, 12 minutes okay. on these. Okay. Oh, those yeah, are good point. Thanks for bringing that up. Yes. So that's my mini tricks. That's what I like doing for small pies. And it's a way to have more pie in your life, but also sort of regulate how much pie you're eating. And it would be good, too, for something like taking to a buffet or a potluck where you don't want to have the mess of serving a, yes. one big pie, but you yes. want everyone to be able to have something to grab and go, no utensil needed. That would be really nice for that, too. Yeah, good point. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get this episode onto the cooling rack. Congratulations! You've graduated from pie school. We hope you enjoyed our second annual month of pie as much as we did. Coming up in March by popular demand of our listeners is, drumroll please, bread! That's right, from sourdough to peasant, pretzels to pull apart, we'll be playing with dough all month long. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and consider ranking and reviewing us on Google, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.